Hi, this is Steve Roost, and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week, we give you the best news, views, and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians, the companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to this week's Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio, the world's largest and best talk health radio station. My name is Steve Roost and each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the CEOs, founders, clinicians and leaders who are changing the world of healthcare in the UK and beyond. I am a CEO and founder myself of a company called PocDoc, which is revolutionising the blood testing space. Um, And I'm passionate about the people and companies that are changing the world. I'd like to just, as always, at the top of the show, thank everyone for listening live on UK Health Radio. Um, Also, thank you if you're watching on YouTube. Our views are going up and up. That's great. Um, And obviously, if you're listening on any of the podcast platforms, Spotify, um, Amazon, Apple or Google, thanks for thanks for downloading the pod. Um, All you have to do is search for Health Tech Hour on YouTube or on any of the podcast platforms and you can find us. Look for my smiling face. Um, Also, thank you very much to, as always, to our show partner, zerozilchzip.co.uk. Zerozilchzip.co.uk is the best place to go if you want low or no alcohol drinks. Um, They're a curated marketplace. They've already done all the legwork in selecting the best beers, wine, spirits, and fizz for you that that, that has no alcohol in it, so you don't have to trawl through all of the the junk out there, as I did when I started on my, my no alcohol journey a few months back um the this week's non-alcoholic drink of the week one that i've been enjoying enjoying over the last week or so is the day's pale ale um i used to love pale ale or a love you know big pale ale drinker of, of, of the alcoholic type so um this had a pretty high bar to get past but it got past it quite i would say quite quite significantly it was fantastic out of the barbecue with the family um so yes check it out the day's pale ale now um and actually, alcohol plays into what we're going to talk about to today's guest, actually, or, or no alcohol. And um, the subject of today's show, uh, well, one of the subjects is dementia, the other is end of life. But alcohol really potentially plays in more to the dementia side of things. But on today's show, we have the CEO of AfterCloud, Darren Evans. AfterCloud are leading the field of app development, um, which are apps which are aiming to help dementia sufferers manage their lives and treasure their memories. Uh, and also support people in their end of life situations and support the families in those situations to make sure nothing's lost, um, which is extremely noble. And they're having some fantastic success in this area, not least of which is that AfterCloud has won a UK Health Radio award um, from their participation on a previous show or a colleague show called Peter Hill. So shout out to Peter. That's a great show if you can check it out. So Darren, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very, very well, Stephen. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. Good. So, as I said, uh, as I said, Darren, the show is sponsored by Zero Zero Chip. So, what are your thoughts on this sort of? I ask every guest about this. What are your thoughts on this no alcohol kind of trend that seems to be, you know, growing? I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of on on the same journey to an extent, although I haven't given up completely. So, I do, I do drink the odd um, glass here and there for celebrations and whatnot. But like you, actually, I'm, I'm a 
was a big IPA drinker. So I might right. check out that day's pale ale myself. Yeah, it's a good one. And there's another one, which is the Athletic Brewing Company. Weirdly, the Athletic Brewing Company one is um, their, 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 um, it's very topical given it's the Tour de France at the moment, but they're backed by Lance Armstrong, of all people. Ah, that's an that's that's an interesting one. Very topical uh, bike reference. The first yeah, tour. Yeah. Um, we're, we're working with a with a company in in the states actually who have an affiliation with Lance Armstrong. So uh, okay. that's interesting. I'll talk cool. to you about it later. Yeah, and so um, let's let's dive into it. So, as regular listeners know, we do the show in three parts, which is a uh, first part is kind of an origins part of how how you and and aftercloud came to doing all the amazing things that you're doing the middle bit is all of the amazing things that you're doing and then the final bit is really around how you stay on your mission you know founding a company running a company is tough enough but particularly in healthcare um you know dealing with very sensitive very emotional and also obviously very risky situations you know people's health people's health outcomes and so how you know staying on mission in those circumstances is often quite difficult so that's how we kind of like to end the show so let's let's jump straight in so you know at what point did you start to become interested in in this area what were the origins of of your interest in it and and obviously how and what became aftercloud yeah it's, it's a really good question i um i've been working in health and social care technology provision hmm, 20 plus years you can probably tell okay. from my gray, gray hair um 20 plus years of, of provision of sorts to health and social care companies so that and, and that's covering the whole sort of gamut: um, residential care providers, domiciliary care providers, extra extra care, supported living, uh, and all what's the technologies the, really. The, that are, What's sorry. the difference between residential and domiciliary? Just for everyone listening. So residential care is typically a nursing home or a, or a residential place where people go right. um, to to receive you know care, mm-hmm. um, and domiciliary is largely home based community. At your home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's those fundamentally the two differences. Um, sorry, back so, to what you were saying. I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, it's fine. Um, so, yeah, my background is, is, as I say, providing technology solutions or was. Um, more business development in that area, actually, rather than technically providing them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And a um, little over oof, two and a half years ago now, um, I, I was providing a little bit of consultancy to a large uh, business in London. And at the same time, we were uh, looking after my mother-in-law who had a very aggressive form of Lewy body dementia. And when I say we, I, I, I use that term loosely because it was my wife mm. and my sister-in-law who were their, her primary carers. Mm. Um, as I mentioned, she had a, a very aggressive form of Lewy body dementia and um, literally six months of, of, of care Um, both the sisters needed a little bit of respite and had two weeks where mum was placed into a um, a care home in Milton Keynes. And during that time, she died. It was literally end of life. Yeah, it was literally end of life. And it was was a horrid time for the family in general. Um, What happened thereafter, though, was really the birth of of, of Aftercloud. We were going through a, a family photo album and, you know, going through the pictures. Now, my wife had lost her dad some years before. And my son, who was 11 at the time, said to Pam, my wife, who's this? Who's that? And she didn't have the answers. So we questioned her sister. Then we questioned her, her, her brother. And no one had the answers. And with that, we realized very quickly that that, that family history, as it is, is gone. It's mm-hmm. lost. It, it, it's, it can never be reclaimed, really. 
Yeah. And, and my son turned around to me at that point and said, Dad, you know, you work in technology. Can't, some, can't you do something? Words to that effect. Mm-hmm. And that was really the light bulb moment. So I started chatting to people right across the sector. And um, it's something I'd never come across before, actually. I don't think you do unless you're in that kind of an end-of-life environment. But we came across this notion of digital memory boxes. Mm. I don't know if you know them yourself, Steve, but they are physical boxes where individuals at end-of-life, whether they're receiving palliative care in the community or, or actually in hospice, will create physical boxes with letters and cards uh, to celebrate future events. Right. And, and then, again, it was new to me, but we thought that at that point, that's what we could do. We could develop a digital memory box. And, and that was the sort of concept of AfterCloud at the beginning. So mm-hmm. that's, that was the start of the journey, as it were. Right. And w- just to go back a step, I mean, your experience mm-hmm. of over 20 years of technology provision in that space how has it changed across those 20 years? Because I suspect there's been, I mean, what was, te- what did, what, was te- what was considered tech, you know, 20 years ago? Like, what were the things that you were introducing? I guess they might seem fairly prosaic now, but like, give us some kind of, sp- give us some idea of the span of that sort of technology, you know, life lifespan, if you like. Yeah, sure. Well, back then, it, uh, rostering, as an example, was in its infancy. So a lot of the... Okay care provision, the recruitment processes, the, the onboarding process were largely paper-based. I mean, back then, pretty much most things in terms of care delivery were paper-based. Right. Uh, you'll know this yourself, obviously, from your experience, but uh, one of the very, very early uh, online systems for rostering, as an example, I was involved with right. uh, in, in bringing it to the market for you know, domiciliary care providers and then subsequently residential care providers. Okay. Um, Things like and uh, sorry, and just and just on that was yeah w- were there any was there anyone saying no 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 we need to stay with the paper or was everyone like oh my goodness thank goodness for this there's this is this is this is great well it was in- innovative at the time if if you can imagine I mean a lot yeah of- no I can completely imagine like it's it's like zero to one it's like it's like we were <laughs> we you know it's sort of I, but but I, so obviously we've had lots of clinicians and leaders and founders and you know ultimately everyone is solving a problem you know what I mean and so I'm just interested to to understand and when you solve a problem there are generally speaking people that don't want to do what you are suggesting and there are people that get on board and like run with it and then gradually you know one group overtakes the other in terms of numbers and then it's completely adopted but I'm just interested because that sort of thing just makes so much sense that I'm just curious you know more intellectually to understand if anyone was like no I think we should really be sticking with the pen and paper Absolutely, there were, for sure. Uh, and, and similarly, I've been in environments whereby you would walk into an office. Uh, I'll give you two examples, right? One, one is where I've seen um, filing cabinets going from A to Z, mm-hmm. which typically run the process of a, of a care management organisation. So right. filing cabinets with A right the way through to Z, all with their sort of compartmental bits that do X, Y, and Z. And then I've been to other offices where they've had whiteboards uh, and, 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 you know, they literally pen on whiteboards to yeah. explain process or, or due management process. It's, it's incredible. Right. As I say, right down to spreadsheets and paper-based systems. So, um, and I've seen, as I say, the whole gambit of that um, as well. Uh, equally, time and attendance as an example. So remote workforce management uh, was fairly new, well, pretty much a, a brand new concept 20 years ago because of mobile. 
and yeah. the uptake of mobile provision. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, timesheets used to be handwritten and, and the client would sign for it, you know. Yeah. Kara came in at this time and left well, no, at this time. You, you joke. I mean, we still, you know, as we've been building PopDoc, we've been working with clinicians and doctors and nurses and things like that mm. to go out and sort of, you know, take the tests out in sort of closed settings, beta research, that type of thing. And like, yeah, a lot of the time they'll still ask us to sign physical timesheets. Like, am I, you know, like, am I, we, are we, are we, yeah. It, beg- it beggars belief, doesn't it? Well, I mean, I, I can sort of understand it in a way because, but, but, but there has to, I mean, there's got, because that person then has to go scan that in somewhere and then send that on or post it. Digitize it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't, there's surely got to be a way in which we can solve for that. I just don't know whether anyone's, I don't know, I guess it's a cost benefit thing, right? Like how much, you know, what's the, what's the upside versus the, the investment required? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's incredible. I think the similarly with, the things like commissioning and brokerage. Uh, and, and again, it's having that sort of overview of how things are prioritised or budget budgetised, I guess, from a um, CCG or a local authority perspective. So I've been involved in commissioning. I've been involved in brokerage platforms, um, yeah, all the way through to product procurement. So, uh, I mean, one of the very, very early um, frameworks for rostering and monitoring was ESPO 394. I mean, we're going back... Uh, quite a way now, 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. Which sort of sped up the process of procurement for local authorities and okay. their providers in, in, in an area. So, uh, again, involved in that sort of element as well. Okay. And again, at one point, that would have all been paper based. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's incredible. And that kind of ties into the memory boxes, which were previously physical and then digital. Still are. Yeah. 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 They, they, I mean, there's a large cohort that still are um, paper-based. Uh, the, the problem with that, I think, though, is that things can get lost, they can get damaged, mm-hmm. um, and you know they're not there f- for life, really, because over time they degrade. Yeah. Whereas from a digital perspective, you know you can capture the voice, you can capture images, you can capture video, um, so, as, as well as letters. Yeah, it's more dynamic and things like that. Yeah. And you know, so what? Um, when you came up with the idea and you started to, which in itself is a good idea, you know, but there's still a long way away from actually crafting a business out of that, right? That's sort of like, hey, I had this good idea and, you know, there's a great story behind it. Well, not a great story, but there's an emotional, meaningful story behind it as to why you're yeah. doing it. Um, yeah. But that, how, how did you sort of transition from that into a company, you know, if you like, or actually building it or actually deploying it? You know, that's still uh, a big, big way away. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a good question. So I, I, I was fully committed from day one. I mean, okay. I had to be. It was, it was a case of actually, this is something here. We can do something with it. So I committed my time, um, my, my, my savings wow. uh, into, into developing the business. Uh, okay. that's, what we've, that's what we've done now for just over two years. So almost right. three years, actually, two and a half years, yeah. Um, it's pivoted slightly in, in some respects, but again, I can explain that uh, yeah. in a short while. But um, yeah, it, it really was developing the, the brand, developing a, an MVP at the time, which was then iterated based on beta and testers and, and user mm. feedback. Um, but no, f- fully, fully committed, fully in. Yeah. And um, what was the kind of reaction when you went around talking to people about this idea that you had? Were there people that were sort of, was there anyone that was particularly negative about it? Again, I imagine it's quite a sensitive area. And so I don't know what the sort of, how that plays out in, it, it, 
it, yeah, it's just a sensitive area, isn't it, really? It, it is very, very sensitive, but largely uh, it was welcomed. I mean, when I started talking about it with various people in, in the sector, in fact, one of the very first people I spoke to uh, was a lady called Robbie Richella. She's now Robbie Richella Askew. She, she'd been married um, during COVID. So we were pre-COVID concept. Now, she was head of quality of life at a very, very large residential care provider at the time. And I spoke to lots okay. of people, but she in particular, uh, in particular stood out because, um, and she, she won't mind me sharing this, she, her mum died of cancer when Robbie was 12. Okay. She's Italian. And um, she was fortunately adopted by her best friend's family and given a really okay. great, up, really great upbringing came over to the UK and started working in, in the care sector. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to Robbie about this concept of aftercloud, um, she told me her, her story. She's actually written for our blog since and, okay. and whatnot. Um, but she, I remember her saying to me uh, and crying at the same time, it's her voice I miss the most. And I wish I could hear her again right. in, relation, in relation to her mum. Now, yeah. the, sto- the story there is that she had a, 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 I don't know if you remember the old tape machines for telephones. If you left a voice. Oh, yeah, the get, dict- yeah, yeah, the little tape. Like the little tape, yeah. Tapes, so yeah, for the, the answering had, machine. Exactly that, yeah. She had a tape of her mum's voice um, and she lost it. Oh, and wow. when I, yeah. And I, so when I told her the story about Aftercloud, uh, I, you know, she wept, I wept, had a lump in my throat. And yeah, said, I mean, I've got a lump in my throat right now. I don't know if you can tell, but that's a very emotional story. It's unbelievable. And, uh, yeah. but, 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 you know, it's the truth. And anyway, with uh-huh. that, she said, it's a voice I miss the most. I wish I could hear her again. And I said, Robbie, I said, and I wrote it down hurriedly and said, you've just said this to me. Do you mind if we use that as our strap line? Because yeah, it just, it speaks volumes. And that anyway, sense. that's what, that's what we did. Well, I think that, that I think I, I think like you know, whenever you start a business, and particularly in in healthcare, especially if it's it's if it's almost like a, I guess it's a non-transactional business in the sense of you're not you're not. I'm not set like for example, with what we do at Pockdog, there's a test at the centre of it. So there's sort of a fairly, you know, it's most basic. There's a fairly simple quid pro quo, right? So yeah. you know, you want this, and I'll tell you the test, and that's what it is. Whereas in this sort of there's an element of trying to figure out the why and that could, you couldn't have expressed it any more, you know, any more beautifully than, than that story. I don't think. That's no, very kind. I mean, to go back to your original question, there was, I mean, we, we, we did have a couple of people saying, Oh no, that's not ethical. You can't really do that. And Oh, not ethical. <laughs> that's an, that's an interesting pushback. I would have thought it would, if there was a pushback, it would have been more like, you're trying to build a business off of grief, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, so what was the ethical pushback? I think just the fact that we were, we were talking to people uh, that were at end of life. Uh, and right. and um, okay. I think from that perspective, there was a little bit of resistance, but only one person actually um, that, that sort of came back with that response. The majority, as I say, the yeah. vast majority were, were very, very positive and, um, you know, we, we've been very, very fortunate to work with some fantastic organisations. Um, you know, hospices that are, are, are leading from the front in terms of innovation. Um, right. And other organisations as well that provide grief support and um, bereavement support and that sort of thing. So, yeah, we've been very, very fortunate. Right. Well, look, I think that we're going to take a quick minute or two for a commercial break. 
and then we'll be back because um, I'd like to kind of go through in more detail how AfterCloud works. But I also know that you're, you, you've applied your, your technology to the dementia space as well with cognitive recall and things like that, which I think is, is highly relevant. In fact, I, on, I was watching the BBC Breakfast News this morning and there was a story about end of life hospices as well as there was a story and the following story was about dementia care. So it's clearly, you know, I, I think it's not unconnected to the cost of living crisis and the things that we are now in and the healthcare crisis, but you know, these everyone's at life will end at some point. So it's pretty relevant to everybody. And and, and there's, I don't know what the, what the, the um, statistics are on people suffering from dementia but i suspect it touches a number of our listeners if not all our listeners in some way shape or form so um we'll be back with darren evans ceo of aftercloud in two minutes uk health radio the station that makes you feel good It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things. Make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk .co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. Discover alcohol freedom with zero zilch zip because nothing's better. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to this week's Health Tech Hour with me, Steve Roost and Darren Evans, CEO of Aftercloud. So before the break, um, Darren explained an incredibly beautiful story about why Aftercloud is so valuable, can be so valuable to, to, to families who are in a situation where one of the family is, is in an end of life situation. Um, so Darren, we, we, could you kind of just take us through how it works? Like who downloads it? How does it work? Who uses it? Like what, like give us an example if, if, if yeah, just walk us through it. Sure. So the app itself is now called Moments, and we have Moments. three apps. So our, our, Aftercloud is effectively now an umbrella brand, and uh, Moments is the app which is utilised for both um, digital memory box at uh, end of life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also used now for dementia support, and what it does is it enables an individual to um, create a template called a moment. And that moment is then made up of uh, multiple content types. So i.e. Uh, an image, an audio, a video, or a letter. And all of those things combined. So that's kind of the unique IP of, of the app in, in, in that you can create a moment with all of that content. The real uniqueness of it is that it enables an individual to post to a future date. Hence, what would mm-hmm. potentially be a posthumous post for end of life. Right but also um, sort of reminders for people living with dementia. Um, We also have a very, very useful, what we call the companion feature, which is a user profile in app, which enables a trusted third party to act on behalf of an individual. And I think that's what lends itself to both, uh, both of those sectors as well. And at what point did you realize that there was this crossover with dementia, dementia sufferers? Well, how did that happen? 
it was an interesting one actually because we were we were beta trialing in real world real world scenarios in hospice, and then we found that and it's, I think happens a lot with these sorts of things is when people get technology they tend to use it however they want to use it and yeah well that's sort of the thing right you've got to give you've got to give people enough leash to use it and then try and understand how they're actually doing it there's that really famous like i don't know if you've seen that image of um a path that goes across a square and um instead of people are supposed to use the path around the square but they've just gone straight across it yeah yeah and and i think you know left to people's devices it, it does sort of formulate the basis of other other uses and in this instance, we had people like um, practitioners and therapists, whether it be art, reminiscence, music, dance, that could share those activities with family members that otherwise wouldn't be present. So in our app, we have this notion of a circle or a, or a loved one's group. So you invite people in so it's private mm-hmm. and secure. And, and with that, what they could then do is share those activities and those you know, improvements or whatever it might have been in, in terms of an activity or an update with families that otherwise wouldn't be present. So that's, that's what started to happen. Okay. Uh, and we, yeah. And um, did you sort of, how, how, I mean, it seems a bit silly. I don't know. It's not quite the same, but how big are these, what's the scale of the problems in that, 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 that your, these, these apps kind of deal with? Is there any way to sort of quantify? I think obviously subjectively, I think everyone listening understands would, I would hope would understand on a kind of a personal subjective level, but are these major issues that go, I mean, what, what if it's not for this, what else is happening? You sort of mean like what, particularly on the dementia side of things, I don't know. Can you sort of elaborate maybe? Uh, it's a difficult one. Isn't it? I don't think there's anything or any comparison in terms of digital adult journaling. So this is, right. we, we, we class it as a digital journal, mm-hmm. an app for digital journaling where dementia is concerned. And obviously, memory box for, for, for end of life and um, there aren't any comparables really there are there are one or two uh, effectively portals now so online repositories as it were okay uh, but nothing that's really app based or person-centered mm. in this in this regard okay. um, so yeah it's a difficult one timelines is a little bit different because timelines which is another app right came out of the beta okay. uh, and the rush the rationale behind that is in terms of iteration and gaining user feedback we had well i think to start with about 300 mvp users you know providing feedback and iteration mm-hmm. that led i think to to 500 midway through through our beta trial which was 10 months um and some of the feedback from users were was essentially around this is fantastic this is great we can create and, and share our moments but what we really want to see is a a, a life story we want to see our moments as a life story. So we kind of undenard technically and realized that rather than iterate the app as it was, we create another one using the same technology stack. So the okay. same IP. Um, and how does the, it differ? Well, what, what, what happens now with timelines is that utilizing those same multimedia uh, content so you know, image, audio, video, letters, uh, they, they, they can create a moment, but that is plotted chronologically on a date line. So, okay. so uh, the first question is, you know, what's your, date of, what's your name, what's your date of birth? And uh, when, when we enter that, that creates the start point uh, you know, for your 
the journey that we're all on of life. Um, and you create pivotal life moments. But what we're finding, interestingly, are two things. One is that when you create a timeline, A, within a dementia-based environment or in a residential care setting, uh, we generate a QR code together with okay. that individual timeline. Okay. Well, that, that QR code can give um, a new carer, a practitioner, a therapist, an insight into that person uh, that they wouldn't otherwise get. So it's giving that kind of clarity of the individual that you're supporting or there to support or there to provide person-centered care for. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one thing that the app does. The other thing, uh, and this is where our research is ongoing, is that as we're having meaningful conversations about life story work and plotting those key dates on a timeline, we're also looking at improvements in cognitive recall for people living with dementia. Yeah, so you mentioned this. I think this is a super interesting area, which is how these apps actually help with that cognitive re recall. Mm. There was a paper written on uh, time travel uh, by Dr. Christopher Johnson in the States. He works at Texas State University, who we'll, we'll be doing some uh, active research with. And um, it's all about time travel, but not, as I say, as you and I would know it. It's This is... In the mind of a person living with dementia, if if they think back to a given date, they actually travel back in time to that date mentally. Uh, and what we're looking at is utilizing meaningful conversation with plotting on a timeline and music. Music's a fantastic enhancer of cognitive recall. Yeah. Um, it will potentially open up further memory. And when you say time travel, you mean because we talked about this now in pre-show call, but I think it'd be super interesting to jump into that a little bit more detail. So mm. could you kind of go into a bit more detail about what you mean by that? Because I, I, I wasn't aware of, of that exact specific um, sort of definition or process or, or problem that dementia sufferers have. Yeah, I, I, again, this is a paper written by Christopher Johnson, so he's, he's the authority. Yeah, no, I wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> yeah, it's okay. You can, you can put it on him. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, but as I understand it, it's essentially that if you if if a person with dementia um, uh, thinks about a given time in their life, mm -hmm. it's not like you and I thinking back to oh, this is a time they physically travel back there in time mentally. Wow! Um, yeah. So for that, for them, they are literally back in that moment. Yeah. Whenever that happens to be. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Which is what which is why we see in older people. Um, a lot of reminiscing about, you know, when they were younger. Mm -hmm. um, right. And again, as I say, music is, is, is a perfect recall for that because it, it okay. enhances that, that, that memory. And how does that, so is it that your apps encourage that type of recall or you, does it improve it? Or like, how does that sort of play out that, how does that kind of tie into the time travel piece? Well, it, by, by defining specific moments in a person's life and having that meaningful conversation, yeah, uh, we're enhancing the, 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 those times, and right. again through, through music, we can enhance further recall potentially and plot other key dates that might otherwise get missed. And are you guys tracking or measuring, quantifying the sort of um, feedback you get from users or their families, or, or, or the, any other measures or any other metrics associated with, with with what you're doing, or like from the healthcare providers or the hospices? What what's the general kind of view from all of those groups? Yeah, we we so. Yes is the answer. We will be both qualitative and quantitative. And uh, I'm working with uh, Dr. Karen Jutler, Wolverhampton University, and Dr. Rosie Mead. 
with a, an active project around this. It's not started yet, actually, but right, it will okay. be. It will be very shortly. Hot off the press. Yeah, and and, um, and that will essentially plot and look to provide that evidence and best practice. And what kind of questions are you asking? I'm, yeah, I'm not asking for anything confidential, oh. but what was the kind of hypothesis? Is what hypotheses are you kind of sort of thinking about in that? Because it's all about how you set the hypotheses up, right? It, it is, it, it is, but that's really not my area of expertise at all. <laughs> which is why, which is why I'm bringing in the relevant expertise really in the form of researchers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, um, and um, and how how do you see this sort of evolving? Obviously, you've got moments, you've got timelines. Are you adding more functionality to them? Is it that you're going to do more apps, or where do you see the sort of require the, the needs in this space? That's a really good question, Steve. Uh, there's two things really that, that, that are happening right now. One is on the back of our work with Moments, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a short story, but I'll explain it. I've been judging the Careshell Awards for a number of years, uh, generally speaking, the adult sort of social care sector as a judge, okay. uh, one of many. One of many. Mm-hmm. And last year, together with some other judges, we were given the children's category. So that was okay. absolutely, absolutely new to me, never been involved with children's services whatsoever. Anyway, um, post the awards, I got chatting to one of the award winners, a chap mm-hmm. called Martin Honor. And, um, you know, when you start chatting and, oh, yeah, what do you do and what do you do? Well, yeah. We had that conversation and he said, oh, that sounds a little bit like an app that we use. And I said, well, tell me a little bit more about it and he said well it's not an app it's a, it's a, it's a you know an online portal effectively where we can share um individual pictures with family members okay. and he said it's, of, a bit, it's a bit of children of the children of, 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 of activities of children of, updates yeah. those sorts of things and i said well is that all it does he said yeah and it's a bit clunky i said yeah i said well maybe you can have a go at moments and right. so they piloted moments for two months in mm. in a real world setting in a children's home so for looked after children sure and loved it they right. loved the fact that they could share activities updates privately mm. securely within a closed group um yeah. so so we we took that information and reproductized the app to call it journals with a few right. iterations actually for children's sector mm-hmm. um and um the companion feature obviously works for the team around the child uh works particularly well so yeah yeah so that's one iteration that came out of of a real life trial Mm. Um, timelines can be applied retrospectively as well as real time so if you've already loved and lost someone so if they died Mm. and you want to pay honor or remembrance to them you can apply a timeline retrospectively okay Um, now Again, a little bit of research needs to be done on this, but we believe that going through that process will actually assist and help people with their grief and bereavement. Yeah, I would imagine that could. I, I would agree with that. And then h- how do you guys cope with this area? Because I've, I've seen various, not exa- not the same, but but, but okay, okay, it was the discussion I had with somebody about, um, you know, these things like sort of digital safe boxes where you can put all of your information you know, your legal documents, your bank account details, your passwords and so on. And so if you die or your spouse dies or your partner dies, they can easily get access to the box and so on. But what, what happens if, how do you manage, because 
how do you manage anything around data loss? So obviously the worst situation would be that someone uses these applications and then something happens and that data is gone from your servers or however it is structured. So how how, how do you guys, because presumably that's one of the, the one of the few risks to the within within what you guys are doing i would imagine yeah uh, so again another good question i think it's it's with any uh internet based or digital business uh security of data is paramount and and and, and in that regard what we do is we everything is backed up uh and we also sit and reside on aws mm-hmm. so um, we're utilizing the best possible uh servers um hosting facilities and make sure that they are backed up accordingly you know they're they're um yeah. So, so yeah, we take it very, very seriously. Um, in relation to other repositories, um, that's not what we, we don't profess to be that sort of thing. We are app-based, uh, providing specific, whether it's life enrichment activity or, or digital memory, or, uh, you know, we, we are app-based. That's, that's what we do. We do partner um, I mean, as an example, we're, partner- we're partnering with Palati in the States, in the United States. So we're part of that digital platform for end of life. Okay. Um, and we've got various other partners here as well. I mean, we've we just had a conversation with the, sounds a bit grim, but we just had a conversation with the National Association of Funeral Directors. Okay. Purely and simply because timelines can be applied retrospectively, but the QR code can sit and reside in remembrance Right. On a head on a headstone, or um, you, you know, on a bench. Right, so or... someone could scan it and see that person's life that was the person that put the bench there. I think that would be kind of cool, you know, because you see the benches all over the place. Where it's like this bench is in memory of, you know, whoever it happens to be, Bertie Wilson or whatever, who yeah. you know loves sitting here and watching the pigeons. And I actually think they're like that would be cool. I bet you get a lot of people doing that, and it could be a nice kind of journey about about him or her i think that that would be kind of cool it's an interesting one we have more um retrospective timelines than we do real time timelines if that makes sense like so people people have already started to apply it for their loved ones that have already already died you know it's um it's it's a really interesting um piece of work i think that's a kind of interesting i think that's a really interesting area actually which is sort of almost like augmented reality for some of these kind of artifacts that are out there in parks and, you know, that, that, or, you know, um, cemeteries and, and things like that. I think that sort of reminds people that there was a person and a life and families and whoever else behind these things. And it's not just a brass plaque that's gradually, you know, getting more and more tarnished. There's actually something there. I think that would be super cool actually. Yeah. Well, we see ourselves now actually as crossing that digital divide between life and legacy. That's, that's yeah. ultimately what we do is the provision of apps for life enrichment, but equally they're there for, for digital legacy. We have plans, of course, whereby um, we, we've had a couple of requests as an example where people said, look, this is, this is great. We can build our timeline. What about pulling in uh, social media feeds or, or a, a feed here or a feed there or something here or something there? And, a, and a, you know, it's on the de- development um, board. Mm-hmm. It's not something we're doing straight away, but I think there's potential there to, to do that, pull in other other forms of media yeah, uh, to, in, to enhance that presence for that person. Yeah, I, I sort of like this idea. They're almost sort of like, you know, digital Easter eggs everywhere of people that, you know, and it sort of, it means that they're still here in, in, a, in, a, in a live color, you know, speaking broadcast way. I think that's really cool. 
Well, that's another benefit, really. In app, people can create if they want to their own eulogy. Uh, right. You know, you can you can record yourself as a you know in a video form, and, and that can be played. There's lots of things that people are doing with it, but of course, to cover all the ground would be uh, take longer than your show. I think. Can you actually have you spoken to the guys that make the headstones? Can they chisel a QR code onto a headstone? It's that a would really be really cool. So that's a really great question, and the answer is yes. Can you? Uh, and it will register. It will yeah, scan. Yeah, yeah. We've got, we've got. So there are two, actually three, um, memorial headstones being showcased later this month. Yeah. Uh, one with a national memorial uh, mason. Uh, the other one was is is with a, a funeral provider, an FD, a funeral director, uh, and working together, they've got three. So one. Uh, which has an engraved or etched, as you rightly say, into, into sandstone, one uh-huh. with a brass plaque and one which is portable so they can take it around and show people uh, what a timeline looks like. That's, uh, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, without wishing to get too excited about something that is obviously an extremely sensitive area, like if you could put a QR code on a headstone and then you can scan it and have a message. And do, I mean, that would be, re- that's really cool. Yeah, that, well, that's that's exactly what we're doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that's great. Like, imagine if you could, like, you know, well, you could take that anywhere. Like, the person who has passed away could leave a message for anyone who scans it, and like that that would be that would be cool. I think that would be really super cool. It's available. It's here. It's right now. You can download it from the app store. Uh, yeah. Do you know, I, I, I um, so my mum. I'll give you a classic example. My mum is eighty-one. Uh, she won't mind me saying this. She's fiercely independent. <laughs> um, you just outed her as an octogenarian. I'm live on that. But apart from that, let's just carry no, on. No, she, she, she doesn't mind. She's fiercely independent. She's got all her faculties. Um, and, and yeah, she's great. I started uh, on my mum's timeline last sort of December. So just before Christmas. And we're continuing with it. I, I visit every other week, there or thereabouts. Uh, she lives a little bit way away from me. But, you know, I speak to her every day. Uh, but I but I physically see her every couple of weeks and we work jointly on a timeline. Sometimes she does it all by herself and amazes me. Um, I think that's the other thing about older people uh, and, our, and this time we find ourselves in with COVID. They've all become quite technically uh, or digitally competent. I would say they've become more competent. Yeah, I would say I would say more, more competent. More. I would say yeah. there may be some people out there naming their names, any of my family that are listening that don't quite make it into the quite competent bucket, but they're certainly more competent than they were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, so my mum is is one of those people, and um, I, I just again through meaningful conversation, I have found some fantastic pieces of history uh, in applying things to her timeline. And, and, you know, I've told a lot of people about this and I show them actually uh, as well. Um, we just celebrated the Queen's Jubilee, 70 years. Well, I've got a yep. photo of my mum, age 12, on the original coronation. Oh, that's that pretty I, cool. I'd never seen before. So right. until we started looking at my mum's timeline, got to age 12 and thought, and she said, look, there's a photo of me at the Queen's coronation. I was just blown away. It was so cathartic. It was unbelievable. That is great. That is that's. Very cool. Um, so we're going to now take this opportunity to to go for our final commercial break, and then we'll be back after a couple of minutes for the final part of today's show with Darren Evans, CEO of AfterCloud. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good.
It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things, make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits, and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. Discover alcohol freedom with Zero Zilch Zip. Because nothing's better. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Hello and welcome back to the last part of today's show with me, Steve Roost, um, and Darren Evans, CEO of Aftercloud. Um, so we were just, that, I mean, talking about the QR code on Headstone and, and, and the story about your mother being at, with a photo of the original coronation. I think that that's all, that's fantastic. Um, I want to kind of change it up a little bit for the last 15 minutes of the show, touch on a couple of things just to get your, your views on them as a kind of you know, 20-year veteran in the space. What's your kind of view on the stories that came out this morning around um, hospice funding? And I don't know if you saw them, but basically there's been a, obviously with the dramatic change in, in, in cost of living and, and energy costs and things like that, hospices are sort of putting the red flag, red flags up if you, in the sense of, of, of funding. And I don't know what your sort of thoughts are around that. I think it's actually dire, Steve. I think um, hospices do a fantastic job in, in, um, in caring um, and looking after people at end of life. Uh, and, and um, you know, the world over looks at the UK in all things end of life and palliative, right? Because Cicely Saunders, who invented effectively hospice that, care. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. Are we considered to be the, the, the front runners? So just be yeah, yeah. We, I think the, other, the, the rest of the world look, look at us as kind of leading at the forefront of, of hospice and, and palliative. And um, although there are some countries now that are doing fantastic things, Australia, Canada, uh, America. Um, so, so yeah, I think going, going back to your original question, I think it's, um, it, they struggle um, to find the, the relevant resources they need to fund hospice care. And, and a lot of the activity that they provide is largely based on fundraising. Uh, and similarly, they lost a lot of money during COVID. And it was uh, it is it has the hospice model always been based on fundraising, or is it is it blended, or what's historically? Uh, no, it's blended. There are there are some uh, NHS funded hospices, okay, um, which which you know are, are appropriately funded in that respect. But again, largely to support all the services they offer, and of course, a large segment of that now is in the community. So yeah providing palliative care in the community and yep. not so much in hospice. And people can live, you know, for years in a palliative state. Yep. Um, um, so, so yeah, to, to support them in that effort, I think, um, you know, funding needs to be addressed. Absolutely. And, and, and how would you, I mean, I look, I think the the thing where we are now, the situation we're now in is sort of, there's funding issues all over the place. You know, mm. there's, there's lots of different areas that, that, that need, need funding and so how would you do it would you try and reform the model you know or would you how would like what what do you think needs to be done because if it is a bit of a blended model like how, how what, yeah what, what would you how are other countries dealing with it what, what do you think we should be looking at 
Well, I think one thing to address here as well is, is social care. It's always been a sort of poor second cousin to health Yes. Uh, in this country. And, and I think the model could be better rationalised in terms of interoperability and a, and a, a funded health and social care system, mm. uh, which doesn't treat each with any less integrity, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, so but, but how that's done, <laughs> again, there were better brains yeah. than me well, to, 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 to apply that to. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, there's yeah. plenty of people thinking about it, but I'm not sure exactly what's going what's gonna to sort of come out. So the hospices and dementia care, does that come from the social care budget or from the healthcare budget or from a bit of both? And it just depends on... Uh, dementia related, it really, it really depends, yeah, on, on the local area remit, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty, it's going to be, because the thing is, is that, you know, aging population and things like that, these, the, the, the requirement for this type of thing is going to get... It's going to increase, not decrease. I, I agree. I agree completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how, how far do you think technology can kind of play a role in, in that? You mentioned interoperability and things like that. Like how much is, how much, how, how much, how, how much can we gain through wider use of technology? But presumably there will be a point at which we can't gain any more through technology because in the end of the day, it's a human, um, you know, human interaction, human system, human patients, human providers of care I mean, how how far do you think we've got to go on the technology front I, I think there's a way to go i think if we look at end-to-end process management um and interoperability there, there, there's a lot to do um you're absolutely right i mean care per se is is is, is a person-centered you know tangible thing that we do as as humans um but i think if we can streamline the processes through you know hospital uh, through from hospital admission um, all the way through the process, really, if people come out on um, reablement processes, um, long-term care, um, social inclusion, all of those things combined, um, with th- th- there's certain measures where cost-saving initiatives will come to the fore. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. But a long way to go. I think the government are looking at... Um, you know, joined up interoperability standards by 2024, which isn't a long way away, really. No, that's right right around the corner. I mean, and I look, obviously, as a digital health um, company myself, you know, as ourselves at PocDoc, and, you know, my, well, my view, or for whatever it's worth, is the NHS has tried very hard with NHSX and NHS Digital. And, you know, there's been a huge amount of, like, funding made available for digital innovation and the digital the digital accelerators and the national innovation accelerators and things like mm-hmm. that. So like, and those have been around for a while. It's not like, so it's not, I don't think it's the, certainly I think sometimes people are like, oh, they're not doing enough, not doing enough. And it's like, well, I think they, they kind of are really trying. It's just a very, very complicated problem. You know, like. It's a, it's a very complex service offering as well. If you look yeah. at the whole of the landscape. Yeah. Uh, and w- w- moments. So our first app moments, yeah. literally two weeks ago became ORCA registered. So and oh, congratulations. So to, to do that from an external perspective, we're not, you know, we're not in the NHS. We're not yeah. in, in the realm of, of, of that um, um, service offering. But we, we did. We uh, very fortunately working with Alzheimer's Scotland okay. um, and um, who, who kind of put us forward for the digital app library. And, uh, and, and, and we, we've been approved. So that's fantastic. What that effectively means now is moments can be socially prescribed. Right. Now, interesting. I was involved in some of the very, very early social prescription 
pilot sites, Pan London, with you know clinical commissioning groups, and effectively that was just trying to uh, limit the amount of wasted time in GP surgeries for people that were either lonely or socially isolated, or or there for the wrong reasons, really, um, right. not necessarily ill. Yeah, um, uh, you know, is there a better way of of managing due process for these individuals? And clearly, mm. there is, and there was because it's now expanding and it's international in its presence. Right. Um, so social prescribing, I think, has a large part to play as well mm-hmm. uh, in the provision of service. And, and also, uh, one thing I will add is um, third sector organisations have a role to play in this. Yes. Um, certainly specialised uh, third sector organisations that, you know, Mind, uh, MenCap, Age UK, yeah. Carers Trust and like that provide specialist services. And do you think that they're aligned right at the moment? Obviously, to, to, because they're charities and they're third parties in and of their own right, but obviously there's a huge amount of overlap with social care and things like that. And are they, are they able to deliver all of the value that they can deliver? Or are they being sort of hamstrung a little bit by certain inefficiencies or anything like that? Or do you think that they're actually, it's working pretty well as far as they're concerned? I think some of them do a really fantastic job. Really, I mean, provide some fantastic services at, at, at a local level. Uh, the problem comes with, with funding once again, unfortunately, yeah, because, right, you know, right, they, right. It, it's the same old... Uh, Analogy in that you know, through COVID, they've lost that level of commitment. They've lost that level of activity in events and, and coordinated yeah. fundraising activities. Uh, and of course, it's very, very hard to then you know, get that back. Yeah, get the momentum back, get the volunteers mm. back, get the kind of structure back. Yeah, no, I I can completely understand. Um, so we've got a few more a few minutes left in the show. Um, and obviously, as someone that's worked been working, you know, in a kind of a let's say a day job for 20 years and then goes up and start their own, you know, startup. What are the kind of, was it what you expected? What, what did you expect that happened? And what did you, what happened that you did not expect? Do you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, <laughs> um, I, so I've managed businesses uh, at, at varying levels and I've managed you know, companies. Um, the one thing I think if I were talking to myself I'd say, I wish you'd have started, you know, sooner. Right. You know, made the jump. I mean, obviously, scenarios determine what you do in life. Yeah. Um, as with the case with Aftercloud. But, but I think if I'd have been my younger self, I'd have said, look, you know, give it a go. Don't, don't worry Just about risk. Yeah. Yeah. And I th- I'm sure you're, you know, you're the same. And, you know, you lead your organization. So. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think for me, I sort of, I, I agree that there's, um, there's an element of things having to fall into place a little bit, you know, and, and I, well, I think that there are people who are just born to do their own thing and they'll, they'll do one thing. If it doesn't work, they'll do a second thing. And if it doesn't work, they'll do a third thing. And they just, they, they just have that, you know, like a Branson or a, you know, mm. there's lots of those type of, you know, lots of those type of people. Um, and but I think that there's a kind of a different group of people who, when things line up, they'll make the leap, you know? And I think that there's a group of people that will just never, ever make the leap. And that's completely fine. And they'll, they're, they're happy working in companies and running companies and things like that. So sort of, mm-hmm. I would sort of bucket people up into those three groups, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, and again, I think had it not have been for the experience that we had, I'd still be working in business, yeah. working for companies, uh, et cetera. So, yeah, it was a bit of a shock, I guess, initially. Um, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> what was the, what were the, I mean, how, do, how have you sort of managed to keep yourself on your mission and, and motivated obviously through covid and which was difficult for everybody but you know you started a business it was a pre-covid concept but you sort of 
started it, you know, in earnest during the pandemic. And so how did you sort of stay and keep everyone on mission? Um, a, a lot of hard graft. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the, 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 for the first part of COVID, I would say for the first probably six to eight months, most of my time was taken up by Zoom. So from first thing in the morning, sort of five, six o'clock in the morning, I'd be having Zooms, uh, you know, international Zooms, Yeah. Um, whether it be New Zealand, Australia. And then in the evenings, I'd come back round full circle and, and be speaking to people in the States. Right. I, 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 what I will say is I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about what I do and I'm very, very thankful for the advisory teams that we've got in place because you know, had it not have been for, for, for the people really that are, you know, pivotal to our ongoing development and have the insight and the experience in their relative markets, um, I don't think we'd be where we are. Um, right. and, I'm, and I'm thankful to everybody that's given their time in, uh, in terms of assisting or helping or advising. Even our brand ambassadors as well, some of them are fantastic. They're all on the website. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very thankful for the support, actually. Good. Well, I, yeah. Well, I hope they're listening and, and they've and they've heard that. So, um, just to finish up the show, how, how if people want to download the apps, use the apps, how do they do it? Where do they find them? Okay, so um, they can go directly to the website aftercloud.co.uk, uh, and we have the three apps there. Journals they won't be able to download because there's a dual authorization process for children's services providers. Okay. Um, but moments and timelines both available on both app stores, whether it's apps, you know, App Store or Google Play, um, and they're they're available to download and utilize. Right. So they just go to Play App Store and look for moments or timelines. After cloud moments, after cloud timelines. Yeah. Great. Well, look, Darren, thank you very much for coming on the show. It was a real pleasure to have you. And um, thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll be back again with a great show next week. Thank you. Thank you very much, Stephen. Good luck with Poddog. Thank you. You're just like my favorite song going round and round my head. Like my favorite song going round and round my head. Five days on the freeway, riding shotgun with you. Two hearts in the fast lane, we had big dreams in blue. Playing sweet child of mine, and I still feel that line. Where are you now? Where are you now? Hey, it's been too long, too long ago, my love. Where did we go wrong? Too late to turn around. Where are you now? Where are you now? Hey, it's been too long. You're just like my favorite song going round, round my head. Like my favorite song going round and round my head. You're just like my favorite song going round and round my head. Like my favorite song going round and round my head.